Hi there guys, financial journalist Caroline Stephen. I had the privilege of meeting former Prime Minister Julia Gillard last week. Whilst I wasn't able to get a recorded interview with her, I did have a fantastic discussion with her about Hillary Clinton's shock defeat in the US election. And I have to say, out of all the people possible to speak with, Julia Gillard was probably the best person to speak to about the issue. She was feeling devastated by the result. She thought that sexism played a large part in Hillary's defeat, not the only part, but a large part. Julia was very warm, very personable, very, very likeable. So today's interview may be left of field for talking trading, but on the back of the US election and after meeting Julia Gillard, it feels appropriate to showcase an Australian female politician. And today we speak to the Honourable former MP Sandra Norrie on life, politics and success. One of the things I find most inspiring about being a journalist is the privilege of speaking to so many different people from different walks of life and hearing their very personal life stories. Often in interviews, they'll disclose their highs and their lows in life, their passions, their heartbreaks, what's motivated them, their life-changing moments, and the obstacles they've had to overcome. The striking thing about interviewing the best and the brightest people, regardless of their chosen field or profession, from market wizards like Mark D. Cook or Linda Rashke, to top-selling authors and speakers like Alan Peace and Julia Cameron, they all say the same things about success. And it's a message that Louise Bedford and Chris Tate continuously reinforce to their trading game mentorees. The success is a psyche. Success is a mindset. And in every interview on Talking Trading from people of all diversity of fields, this message is reinforced. Today's guest, former MP Sandra Norrie, was another example of the habits of success. And Sandra was striking to me because I haven't interviewed a politician for so long before. When someone from politics is saying the same thing about their habits of success as market wizards are saying or authors are saying, you really start to take notice. Sandra was the Minister for Sport, Recreation and Women in the New South Wales Parliament from 1988 to 2007. She was also married to Labor elder statesman and former Federal Minister of Defence, Senator John Faulkner. So she lived and breathed politics on the coalface every day. In this interview, we hear a little of Sandra's story, a little of how she views success, how politics was always in her blood, what it was like to be a woman in politics, and we hear her advice to younger people. I hope you enjoy MP Sandra Norrie. Sandra Norrie, hello and welcome back to Talking Trading. Good afternoon. Sandra, how did a girl, didn't speak English when he first went to school, how did you end up becoming an MP? Uh, Look, the short answer to that is with (laughs) an incredible amount of hard work and strategic thinking. But I guess what you're really saying is how did I formulate the ambition and then how do I translate that ambition into reality? I've always been fairly driven, I think. Um, Politics was discussed around the table at home. My parents were Italian. Mum's hometown had been occupied by German troops, according to her, since 1938. So 
you know, politics w- were discussed. I can remember my parents listening to Parliament when I was quite young, five or six. So ideas and the desire to change things, and of course having an opinion about it all, uh, came very naturally to me. And then, you know, in my mid to late 20s, I had to get very very strategic about it and I did because I wanted it badly enough when you say strategic what did you do what did you have to do to end up oh sure I had to decide which seat was I going to go for who was retiring what would be logical I didn't want to uh, parachute myself into a seat I wanted it to be a seat that was natural to where I'd grown up and natural to where I lived and worked at the time so it was the inner city the logical one was Pat Hills seat was Philip it became called Elizabeth and by the time I ran for it it was called Mikel so I had to go in there work the numbers make sure that I had the numbers in all the branches it was a hard factional battle and I had to win it and I did all the things you got to do to win a factional battle so when you say that what grit and tenacity did you have to stump up to to get there I had to look there's no doubt I had to recruit people to the party I did it while I was pregnant. I did it while I was breastfeeding. I didn't, you know, I was working on it while I was pregnant a second time. I hadn't had any sleep. You name it. I just had to do it. I had to do it the old-fashioned way. I had a huge pre-selection. There were 1,300 eligible voters and in the end 600. And I had to see each and every one of them two and three times. I had to had to outwit my opponents. It's too long, too hard to, to explain it to someone who hasn't been involved, but it was just an enormous amount of work. I had an enormous amount of support from my then husband, John Faulkner. Most people would know him as the party, sta- elder, party elder, party statesman. But most of all, I had a determination. I still don't know, still don't really know where I got the confidence from because I would still maintain that the hardest thing for women and or men if they come from a if you like a disadvantaged background which being a migrant kid in the 50s you were you know in a in a way you were where do you get that confidence to say I'm good enough to run and I think that was the hardest thing I had to overcome but once I got that I wasn't too bad at getting there how'd you get that mainly from other women by the uh, late 70s, there was a bunch of Labour women, Jan Burns, Woods, Pam Allen, you know, a whole bunch of us. We just had the dirks. We just got together and said, right, this is it. We're all going to go for it. Funny enough, the three of us ended up in Parliament. So, so ultimately, it was partly the times, but it was also other women encouraging other women. So during this time getting into Parliament... What skills did Sandra Norrie develop? What did you look back and go, gee, I grew doing that. Gee, how did I have the guts to do that? What balls did I have to have? Oh, oh God, door knocking is just like... <laughs> if it wasn't for the lovely dogs or especially the lovely cats that you get to meet as you door knock, it is the pits. I hated it. Um, if, <laughs> if I ever had to learn the lesson that says... You've got to do things you really don't want to do and can't stand doing to get somewhere. I learnt that lesson. So whatever that lesson is, I've learnt it. <laughs> um, no, it's just, look, it takes more out of you than, than really is, is acceptable. I, it's hard. And, I, you know, like I hadn't slept in three and four years in that first election. I still had a baby that was waking me up sometimes as often as 15 minutes. I, I'd be getting 45 to 60 minutes sleep at a time usually throughout the whole night I was just nauseous 
let's talk about that, that, that you, you're a, woman, a female MP and you, you had a family, you had two young kids. How did you cope? How was the divide of the family and the parliament for you? Uh, look, it was hard, but I had a very supportive um, husband. But, you know, within a year he was off to the Senate, so he was away a lot of the time. I had a fantastic mother and, and stepfather, grandparents, who, who stepped into the breach. And the other thing I had and I suppose John had too, was a propensity to not save one penny because it all went on childcare. It was during the long daycare during the day, was at night and in my case weekends because I had more constituency work as an MP, as a, as a constituency MP than, than as a senator. And, you know, we got divorced fairly early on and so I had a, probably even greater burden that way and there was no tax deductibility for any of it. It was just massive expense, but you know the salary allowed me to pay it. Oh, look, it's incredibly stressful. If I look back on it, if I'd stopped and thought about it at the time, I'd have got off the treadmill. But you sort of just don't think about it. You just go. It's only looking back on it you realise the price you paid. And just it, it is, in some ways, it is just too hard. Being the single parent, it's not being a female. I think it was being a single parent, even though some of the time they were with John and he was terrific, really. So, so I, did have, I did have some balance. But I, I know you can talk an hour out of a tree, so I just want to keep interjecting with you. So let's talk about you being a woman in Parliament. And did you encounter sexism at all? Was it hard to maintain your femininity during those years? Because you are very feminine. Was, did you learn certain techniques? No, I didn't think about maintaining my my femininity how I dress is probably more a function of being culturally Italian in many ways and you know <laughs> I've, got, I've got the fashion gene no I don't think I was conscious of that I think I think the sexism is actually very very subtle I think I don't think even most women have necessarily recognized it I after 19 years in the game and about what nearly 10 years out of it my assessment is this that where the sexism comes in is that men don't really appreciate the skills that women have and they often see them as weaknesses. They see they, they certainly hear the woman's voice. You're either their lover or their nagging wife, you know. So there's the voice, the register of the voice. I think women's collaborative, collegial speaking style doesn't inspire confidence in men. They're much more comfortable with people who speak with absolute certainty, even if they don't know shit from clay, and say, yes, I think we should A, B, C and D. Whereas one might say, look, we could do A, but I'd be concerned that if we did, then maybe B would go this way. Maybe we should think about C. Men interpret that, by and large, as lacking confidence and belief in your own decision. I discovered that one day... I'm not really going to tell you where and when, but it was, it was significant. And I'd put a point up, I'd put a point up, I'd been defeated by my colleagues, and the boss was halfway out the door, and I was pretty, I was a bit cranky about it. And just as he was about to leave the door, I said, No, I'm coming back to this. And I was half angry, but not angry enough to be seen as stupid and mad. But I, re I realised I was sounding like a bloke. I said, I don't think this is the right decision we've taken. I, for A, B, C, D reasons, boss comes back, gets resubmitted, and the original position that I'd put forward probably an hour earlier got through. What was the issue? Can't remember. But it was such a lesson in how presentation mattered. Now, I may have had a weak presentation full stop. But I do believe that if women want to succeed in a room full of men, 
they'd better be mindful of how men react to certain speaking styles and how and and you know don't get prissy about it just you know do what you've got to do because it's about outcome it's about outcomes did you sound half angry from then onwards when you spoke to people well I, I mean I was so stupid every now and then I forgot it I'd forget to <laughs> I'd get carried away. I don't like talking. Uh, but um, I do sometimes. I do sometimes prepare myself and, and, and hark back to that day. And what, what it means is I get incredibly focused and there's no extraneous information. I prefer, I prefer context, context. I like to give people enough info so they can be in my shoes for a second because then they can really understand you. But um, a whole bunch of men, that's not the right audience to do it with. Let's talk about some of the policies that you pushed through. Was it rewarding for you to see change being made on the coalface and that you were responsible for it? Uh, Yes, except I suppose the thing that peeves me, that most of my stuff really was under the radar, yet it's actually helped change people's lives. And I I actually think when I look back at all the things that have been lauded in public policy, they're always the very clever and necessary, and I don't in any way seek to detract from the success of intelligent policies that have led to you know to greater economic development and so on but where i think women succeed more but don't necessarily get recognized are those things that are trying to change human outcomes because of the impact on the individual uh so my lucy mentoring program which apparently has now gone national no one really, only people involved in it know about it, but it, but you know, but it's getting some reach. Yeah, there are, uh, and sexual servitude. You know, it was New South Wales through me that we first raised the whole issue. I think it was about two thousand and four. Yeah, there are things that I'm proud of, but they're not headline-making matters. But hopefully, they will change people's lives. You mentioned the Lucy mentoring program, so I just want to talk about mentoring. If the reason I bring this up, and I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, is when I first met you, I didn't know you were an MP, and I just thought, gee, that's a nice style of woman, and you're the sort of woman that you'd want as a mentor. So if you were mentoring younger women, what sort of things would you say to them? Well, obviously, you've got to tailor it to the individual, to the you know, depending on their strengths and, or, and their weaknesses or their fears. But in, in the general, um, be educated. And one of the, well, here's another, just remember another program we started. We were going into high schools talking to 15-year-olds and uh, the opening speech, when I, whenever I opened the, the, the course, was something like over 60% of women will end up being single. So, you know, Prince Charming may not be as charming as you thought he was. Prince Charming might get back up on his horse and run away. Or Prince Charming might die or become catastrophically injured and you're going to be head of the household. So number one, get educated learn to it's a bit like dancing and you'd understand this Caroline you're meant to dance on your own axis you use your partner but you're meant to dance on your own axis so axis so if they step away you can still stand there even you know mid-heel turn so to speak so that's what you've got and funny enough the stronger you are and the more independent you are the more liberating you are and therefore the liberated you are, the less needy you are and the better the relationship you're going to have. That's in your personal life and also in your work life. You have to be determined. You actually have to be prepared to be strategic. That doesn't mean you have to knife and shaft everyone, but it means you do have to be strategic. And, and, And it may include having to do things that you normally wouldn't really like to do. I wouldn't suggest that people should do things that really revolt them. But there's no point being a shrinking violet either. 
when you look back on your political life, when you think of the qualities you've developed in Sandra, what are you most proud of? I, I actually don't don't know the answer uh, to that, though. I, I've noticed I've developed a greater sense of equanimity of late, such that when I'm doing a task that initially feels over-daunting, I'm getting a lot better at putting it into bite-sized chunks. Okay, today I'll do, I don't know, 10% of it, getting through that and using the strength and good feeling of that to, you know, to get through maybe 15% the day, uh, the day after. And that is about really trying to eliminate... Pro- I'm, I have been a procrastinator. I, may not, I know I don't look it. I know I don't seem it, but at times I'm, I am a procrastinator. And I think, what's that expression? Get up each morning and eat the frog first. In other words, the ugliest, <laughs> do, <frog. laughs> do you, the ugliest one to boot, the toad, the Queensland toad. Yeah, do, do, your, do your nastiest thing first. Get it out of the way. And, um, and the other thing I would say, though, it's such a cliché... I wish I could find a refreshing way of expressing it that actually means something, but you do have to actually follow your dreams. You actually have to stay in touch with yourself and really every now and then have a real look at what, you know, you're doing things, you're doing this, you're being dutiful, you're doing voluntary work, you're doing this, you're doing the other, but what is it that really brings a smile to your face and just don't forget that that's what you should also be trying to do. Sandra, we'll wrap it up there. It was really nice to spend time with you. Thanks for your time. That's okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week to hear speaker and author, funny man, Alan Peace, on his new book and bestseller already, The Answer. I'm Caroline Stephen. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation. Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again, tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not.